0: and welcome to another episode of the Land Party Lawyers podcast. My name is Nick Brown and I'm joined as always by my colleague and co-host Steve Blickensdurfer. To our regular listeners, welcome back. To our new listeners, on this podcast we tackle issues at the intersection of video games, law and business. Through debate, discussion and interviews, we focus on the legal issues in particular and we offer our takeaways and our thoughts. But please remember, nothing we or our guests say is legal advice or an official statement of their organization. Now today, we're gonna be talking about legal issues that are facing today's top esports teams. We've got a great interview set for you. We're gonna hear directly from the head of two teams we know that you've heard of, the Florida Mutineers and the Florida Mayhem, which are the Call of Duty and Overwatch teams of the Misfits Gaming Group. Today, we're gonna be talking to John Craikum, the president of these teams and the vice presidents of the Misfits Gaming Group. So uh, before we get there, Steve, why don't you give us some context?
1: Thanks, Nick. Uh, it's important before we dive in the interview to just get an understanding of the esports landscape. We've talked about esports in several past podcasts, but just to give everyone a baseline understanding, just as in sports, there are tier one games, uh, just as you have baseball, football, basketball are considered tier one sports. There are tier one games in esports. And just to list a few of those, you have Call of Duty, uh, League of Legends, the Overwatch League. You also have some in fighting games, such as Smash, Tekken, and others. And you have a whole other realm of games, Dota 2, CSGO, Smite, StarCraft 2. So you can get a, get a sense there are a lot of teams, and they kind of have different tiers, uh, where you have some that are at the top, and then they kind of go down from there. Most of the top games have organized leagues, uh, but not all of them, right? Uh, Nintendo is famous for not Officially really supporting Smash in the way that the competitive community wants it to. Uh, And on the other end, you have some organizations, some game companies that are so involved in in the organization of their game's competitive scene that they can maybe even be seen as overly active in the space.
0: And everything in between. Right,
1: right. Controlling uh, a lot. And we're going to get into a little bit of that in, in, a, in a little bit. Um, but, but game companies, another distinctive characteristic of esports is over traditional sports is that game companies own the football. And we've talked about this on our previous IP episode. Compare that to uh, sports. No one owns a football. No one owns the baseball. But in, in, in esports, there is a company that owns that particular IP, and that's why you have so much control in many instances, because they're just trying to protect their IP, their assets.
0: That's right. It adds layers of complexity to the legal issues that the teams face.
1: Right. And then you you couple that with maybe sports games like NBA 2K and FIFA, and those game companies, not only do they have their own IP, but they also have to work with the sports leagues For licensing. So it's like even more complicated when it comes to those games, but it results in a myriad of legal issues facing esports teams, which Nick, I think you're going to give us a list of what those are.
0: Sure. Well, uh, we're going to talk about some of these in more detail with John shortly. But just to give you some context and and uh, kind of the lay of the land in terms of some of the common legal issues that face teams, it's basically a blend of sports and entertainment law. So they're going to have employment and labor issues by virtue of the fact that these are entities that often employ uh, either a few people or many people. You're also going to see a lot of IP, intellectual property issues. And these are a little more complex, as Steve just previewed, than they are... Uh, in other traditional sports areas, because a lot of times you have to, you know, uh, adjust and negotiate the same type of rights or different bundles of rights between the player, the game companies who make the games that they play, the brands that sponsor them, and of course, the team that employs the player. Uh, There's also a bunch of immigration issues that come up, especially as people travel from country to country to play. I know there have been uh, some issues in the news lately of people uh, seeking to get visas to come and play in the United States, um, and and those all raise a number of, you know, discrete legal issues that are specific to immigration. There's also investment and funding and sponsorship issues, uh, like we talked about on our eSports investment episode last season. Uh, there's a lot of complicated rules there on how teams can, you know, make their money and how... Uh, event coordinators can do the same thing and and get the capital that is necessary to put on these events and of course there's general corporate advice uh, you know issues with incorporation and setting up multiple tiers of entities and and other entities to hold them so that the appropriate legal and fiduciary and tax requirements are all being uh, observed and then finally uh, this is not an exhaustive list but the the last big one that we've seen lately is like ad tech. So think about online advertising and marketing and stuff involving the TCPA which is the federal law that aims to prevent robocalling. It doesn't actually prevent it as we all know, but it aims to do so.
1: Yeah. And to couple with all those legal issues kind of as a background, um, we wanted to just address some of the trends that we've been observing in esports. And and right now the most Im- I guess, obvious one is that eSports is currently the only game in town. We are recording this during... That's it,
0: baby. <laughs> nothing else. <laughs> during the,
1: the official quarantine and lockdown of, of society, and the number of people playing games is at a record high. The number of people watching others play games is at a record high. Just recently, eNASCAR racing is being broadcast on television and in lieu of live racing, and they're seeing amazing numbers, uh, such that... The, those in the traditional NASCAR space were like, wow, we did not expect that. NBA players are playing NBA 2K and competing from their homes. And you have health officials who are actually encouraging video games as a way to stay home and socially distance from one another.
0: It's been amazing. I've been watching every day. There's a new concurrent player record of, of games that some games that are, you have, are currently popular, other games that I didn't think we're that popular, but now, you know, every day we're seeing bigger and bigger numbers as everyone starts to distance. And and so, you know, we've, of course, been talking to you about the increasing trends of of esports and electronic gaming for a while now, but this is really uh, sending it leaps and bounds uh, ahead of of schedule.
1: Right. Uh, You also separate other trends just to kind of uh, go through them. We have leagues moving to exclusive deals with platforms. This is something that we thought could happen and we have we definitely saw it happen when Activision Blizzard went with a deal with YouTube. They announced a deal to have their competitive esports in in uh Overwatch, uh Hearthstone, some others um that I'm just not remembering uh going and being displayed oh, Call of Duty, that one too, uh, being displayed on YouTube. That's exclusively online, right? And and just recently, we saw another announcement that they're going to be looking into announcing a deal uh, to also broadcast on traditional TV media. So, but I, I just think the the leagues moving to exclusive deals on online platforms is an important trend to watch and to see how that develops going forward. You also have leagues increasingly moving to franchise models. That's uh, you know having. A team in Paris, a team in New York, a team in Florida, like <clears throat> the Florida Mayhem or Mutineers, and also moving to have homestands. Now, this is a move going to traditional sports. So, esports taking a page out of the traditional sports model to increase engagement and, and fan engagement, in particular in, in their teams. Regardless of who's playing on the teams, they are a fan of their local team, right? And they go out. And they're able to watch their players play live, you know, at these events uh, at the homestands, which... uh,
0: Theoretically.
1: Right, right. (laughs) Uh, When when everything goes back to normal. Right. We also have uh, trending player organization in terms of talks of unions and collective bargaining uh, and also trade associations. Uh, Counter-Strike CSGO in particular is very, very cutting edge at the the, uh, forefront of this with the CS... PPA, the Professional Players Association uh, for Counter Strike. Um, this is this has been, I guess, problematic in the U.S. for a, a, in a lot of ways because of uh, it's hard to create a union for an international esport. So you kind of have to have them regionally, I guess, set up and established. But we can get into that uh, in the future. Maybe we'll get into that in this episode. Uh, but whether you know whether or not we're going to see more players organize. Is, is basically the trend, and I think we are. Uh, how it's going to look is is uh, is to be determined. And uh, teams increasingly engaging with brands and turning to lifestyle gaming. That's another big one we're seeing. In addition to competitive gaming, uh, just a culture of lifestyle gaming. We see that with 100 Thieves, um, some other uh, phase, some other esports teams, and so I suspect we're going to see more of that in the future as well. Enough of me rambling on, Nick. Let's Let's transition over and, and talk to to John Craham, as you mentioned, uh, President of Mayhem and uh, the Mutineers. And VP of Misfits Gaming Group, John. Welcome to the show. We're we're so happy to have you.
2: Thank you, Steve. Thank you, Nick. It's great to be on. Thank you so much for the invitation.
1: Well, John, I just wanted to start off with an easy softball question. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, how you got into gaming and and esports?
2: Yeah, uh, it's a it's a fair first question, um, <laughs> and I'll go. I I'll, I I'll try and go chronologically by relevant uh, information. So. Growing up, I I just played a ton of video games. Uh, My younger brother and and my cousin and I would uh, would spend summers together. We we all lived in the Midwest, and we'd like sit in a room for twelve hours a day playing
0: whatever. You know, what Um, era would this have been in? Were were you playing GoldenEye or were you playing
2: Super Nintendo? uh, Okay, sixty four was the big one. So yeah, GoldenEye, the original Super Smash Brothers, perfect Dark Melee. Uh, yeah, we played a decent amount of Perfect Dark. Less less Perfect Dark than GoldenEye probably. Uh, I think it was Battle Tanks on N64 was a big <laughs> one. Um Halo eventually was massive. Uh, we of played course. a ton of Halo. And yeah, we I mean, we had we had three we, we, we actually got to three rooms and had a LAN setup so that we couldn't screen peek with each other. Nice. So Beautiful. Was, uh,
1: I see you guys took it seriously.
2: The beginning of
0: competitive esports.
2: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then and then eventually Counter-Strike was was what, uh, what my at least my brother and I got really into. So um, I actually in in college i played one professional counter-strike tournament and uh and we got 16 0 by united five which i th- <laughs> who i think were the fifth best team in the world at the time so it was fun we got to play against them and we won the g- we won our game before that it was, a, it was a great time we were really happy to be there but uh but it was good to uh Good to prove that we weren't cut out to be professional gamers. Um, my brother was the only—he got a 4K in one of the rounds, so that was the highlight of the the tournament for for us. Oh, that's but, great. Um, but anyway, so so yeah, a lot of a uh, lot of gaming in my background. Yeah, you know, played a bunch of world of Warcraft and other things from then on. Alliance yeah, or Horde?
0: Oh, Alliance. Ooh, that's okay. <laughs> you Nobody's <molester>. perfect. <laughs> 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 yeah,
2: no, I was a human paladin all the way. <laughs> but um, but yeah. So then, uh, finished finished out college. Uh, worked for a few years. Then went to Northwestern Law. Um, graduated and had married a California girl. So that she took me out to the West Coast. Um, I worked for DLA Piper's uh, corporate team in Silicon Valley. So worked with a lot of startup companies out there, uh, which was a ton of fun. Really great experience for a few years. Uh, in that window of working at DLA was really when some of the earliest publicly visible and and active lawyers who focused solely on esports um, kind of joined the scene. Mm-hmm. And I'd been walk, watching esports for a while at that point. My brother introduced me to League of Legends when they, during the seal the first Worlds. Uh, I think regional qualifiers i watched the north american regionals for for the first uh first competitive year and that was my introduction to to kind of esports at at least a, a globally broadcast online level um before you know when i was playing counter strike it was all you had to record your games and then they would get uploaded to some websites and you could go download the replay of um of whatever game you wanted to watch and watch it in the counter strike client I
0: spent a lot of time on sc 2 replayscom Right on. Uh, when I was, uh, I had delusions of being competitive at that game. Yeah.
2: So, uh, so you, yeah, you were there, but, oh um, <laughs> yeah, I did a lot of that kind Counter Strike, but, but yeah, it was great. I, the advent of of Twitch and and live online broadcasting was was awesome, and so I, I watched a ton. Um, and then, yeah, working for a law firm, I started reaching out to lawyers who were doing this full time and said, you yeah, know. Pretty passionate about this. Like, how can I start adding this to my practice or figure it out? Yeah, find a way to, to do this for a living. And uh, just networked. And it took about two years uh, to get introduced to Ben Spoont, who's the CEO of Misfits Gaming Group. Mm-hmm. Um, and flew out, had an interview with him, talked things over for a bit. And he offered to bring me in house uh, as in house counsel. It turns out uh, most of the board, at, the, at least at the time, it's since expanded. It was made up of ex-lawyers, and so they they liked the idea of having a lawyer in-house, uh, which was lucky right. for me. <laughs> is, is
1: that consistent with other esports teams that they have a lot of ex-lawyers, or is this is misfits different in that regard? It's not. It's not something.
2: It's not super unusual. I, I've run into a, a decent amount of ex-lawyers in the industry. Um, you know, it was. I I think it was probably unusual that. Almost everybody I talked to—it was an ex-lawyer when I when I came to do my interview. Right. So that was it was is a little extreme on this side,
0: but uh,
1: so misfits is on was, one. I can't,
0: e- I can't get away from you, people. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So, so misfits
1: is on one end of the spectrum, and then you have just teams with no lawyers on the other
0: and just
2: yeah exactly you know players who self-organize as as the (laughs) other example but no it's uh it was it was a really great opportunity um so i I started working you know staying in in the west coast originally and have since moved to florida uh started as as in-house counsel um kind of got to know the business and and was working a lot with our overwatch league team which had just started up um and we were staffing up and at the end of the first season i kind of i went to the I went to ben and, and the board and said hey you know we should there are here are a couple of people we can we can hire to really kind of take over what we're doing on the activision blizzard uh, side with the overwatch league and um they interviewed a few folks um and, and then came back to me and said hey john do you just want to do it and
0: uh
2: you know, leave your official lawyer title behind and i said yeah uh i'll be an ex-lawyer too <laughs> i'll go. join the club so uh, so now I'm a recovering lawyer and um, president uh, and running operations for our two Activision Blizzard franchises.
1: That's great. that's great. Do you find it difficult so, uh, sorry uh, to no, go ahead, go ahead. manage a team not based in LA or New York?
2: No I mean there there are, def- there are reasons to be in one of the one of those two cities. I'd say LA in particular has been such an esports hub and is is where a lot of Endemic sponsors tend to be based, so so I think there's a pretty reasonable advantage to being in LA. But I think that the advantages to us being in Florida are uh, outweigh that. Um, so so no, I don't think it's been difficult.
0: What what are some of those advantages?
2: Um, I, I, the biggest one it's it's mostly obvious, which is um, you know. Both of our, these Activision Blizzard leagues, Activision Blizzard leagues, have gone into regional franchising, uh, like you mm-hmm. described in the intro. Um, and so, so as the Florida team, it makes a lot of what we do much easier to be in our market. Uh, and I, I don't know exactly what the split is offhand uh, between teams, regionalized teams, being in market versus being in a in a separate home base usually la um and and then kind of operating through their market but you know when we're pitching local sponsors when we're trying to figure out homestands um even just filming content like we need our players to to film a video when we want shots of them on the beach in miami or um, up in orlando at, at you know around the theme parks like it's uh you know to have to fly people out to la from la to do that every time is is just unreasonable yeah and um, so I think that that being in market for us is a is a is a major reduction in transaction costs, um, and also you know our, our long-term goal, as as which I think is going to be a major long-term goal, not only of these leagues but of a lot of leagues going forward, is driving local fan base local fans to to our brand and to our teams, and it's just harder to do if you're not in the neighborhood. Um, so, so I think that there are, I I think that those are both massive advantages to to us being located
0: in market. Yeah. So what are, what are some, how does that look? What are the efforts to get people to, to come and, and show up and invest in a local team? I mean, being local, like you said, seems to break down certain barriers, but, but what, what, what's, you know, if you're comfortable talking about the steps you've taken, um, you know, what do those look like and, and what seems to be having the most effect?
2: Yeah, um, no, it's a it's a great question, and it's one that you know we ask ourselves every day. <laughs> yeah. um, I bet because <laughs> I mean it, it's one of our biggest biggest jobs uh, over the next few years. But um, you know, I, I mean, the first one is done, which is have Florida in our name. Um, that's that is just being in a league that attaches itself to a location uh, instantly creates um, a reason for somebody local to be a fan of our team um and and you know at a league level it creates a reason for people to be a fan of the game in the league mm-hmm. uh, if they didn't have one before so so that's that's done and that's that's great um after that uh you know local events is huge um and finding appropriate ways to market to the right audiences so we over the first two years of the overwatch league while we were still based in la because we had to play all of our games in la uh minus a few in season two we ran. I I think it was the most watch parties out of all the Overwatch League franchises. We had twenty three watch parties in season one, wow. um, and I think we had twenty eight or twenty nine in season two. Um, and that was because we were running multiple per uh, for for some weeks. We ran in multiple cities. Uh, watch parties.
1: Could you that's describe what a watch party is for those who don't know?
2: Yeah, of course. So so that's uh, you know these these games are. Broadcast in front of a live audience, um, but especially in the first two years, it was in a, a studio with you know where you'd cap at 500 or so attendees, and meanwhile they're being broadcast online to hundreds of thousands plus people uh, watching, uh, and for, for big events millions. So um, so the online broadcast is free. It's it's easy to access, and that's how most people watch. So watch party is just hey, let's find a way to put our broadcast in a in a public or semi public space that we can rent out and um, get a bunch of our fans to show up and cheer for the team together and make it a more engaging and fun experience for people who um, otherwise would be sitting at home with maybe this dream on their second monitor, um, doing you know playing a game or, or, or something on their other monitor. So it's uh it, it it's simple and we, we ran these at, at a bunch of different bars restaurants event centers um right now
0: and the the fortress right
2: yeah yeah full sail fortress uh, i went
0: to the one at the fortress just for anyone considering going to one of these uh let me let me well once life picks up as normal again of course uh let me just tell you it was an absolutely phenomenal experience and uh to have um you know, it's one thing to watch it on a second stream, just like, you know, a second monitor, just like you were saying, John. It's another thing to be there when every twist and turn, the crowd is going bonkers and yelling. It was, I, I saw enthusiasm there that would rival anything that I've seen at a, uh, at a live traditional sports game. So um, let, let me just plug that for a second because that was a great event.
1: Speaking of live events, maybe let's transition to what you're doing now. Um, how has the transition from the... Live events hybrid online events to just all online events and competitions gone for you and your teams. Hmm. Um, so
2: I imagine it's 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 probably smoother than people think um, although may, maybe not I, I honestly don't know what the what the public center, you know, thoughts are around this, but um, you know we at least within our, our organization. Um, You know, we're set up pretty well after the move to Florida. You've got our our office with practice spaces for both of our teams that have competitive, the same competitive setups that they have in arena at live events. Uh, They also have the same setups in every player has the same setup in their apartment or home. Um, So they can get quality practice if they're playing in their off time. So um, technically, we were pretty... You were set up already. ...ready to to do anything from anywhere. Um, So that wasn't... There were no big technical hurdles for us to go online. Um, Honestly, I mean, it was a huge disappointment for us, for for our players, not to be able to play in front of a home crowd this year because that is amazingly fun to do. And just having been to other teams' events, and we haven't been able to host one yet, we actually... Our Overwatch League event was canceled it was the first event canceled due to coronavirus concerns in either of our two, of these two leagues and it was canceled i think four days before um it was set to start aye, aye, aye. so so it was a it was a major bummer yeah. uh yeah and and there were little issues just around managing that whole cancellation but uh, but not
0: not
1: anything material um how have you managed to keep your teams competitive uh during the times when either you're not even in the same room you're in different houses but there's there's a a, if for those who don't know there's a need for and a definite talking and communication amongst players uh probably happening on the headsets i guess now but you know even live at the event uh, to talk to make sure you're coordinating with your teammates because that's just super important how has that kind of happened
2: yeah, I, uh, that's a great question, and uh, I'll give you a funny, quick answer. And, and uh, but I, I have to caveat with, I, I, I'm really uh, excited for our teams to continue to play this season. I think I think we're gonna we're gonna do well and and improve. We are in the Overwatch League side, particularly um, Call of Duty, We've been very good, better than most people thought. Uh, but since since we've started playing from home, I think we haven't won a single uh, map. <laughs> <thing yet. laughs> but we've only we've only played once. In, on, in the Overwatch League, and we we, we got 3 would by Atlanta, who's who's got an incredible roster. They're they're, they're great. So yeah, yeah you know, kudos to them. But uh, but so the question: Are we staying competitive? I don't know. Uh, but no, I, we are. Uh, our our improvise, adapt, overcome. Doing, yeah, exactly. No, our, our coaching staff in both leagues are doing great jobs. Um and and but Steve, you're right. I mean, the um communication and both in-game and out is super important for the teams in-game i'd say it actually hasn't been very impacted because even even when the guys are all sitting in the same room they're all they've all got headsets on because they have to hear the game sounds right. and so by default they're all communicating over some voice chat mm-hmm. uh tool. so that that has changed essentially zero um the i'd say the biggest change there is that usually the coach can kind of walk around behind each player and look at what they're doing um over their shoulder and now they have to use the in-game client to be switching between players so it's a little more effort um for some of the coaches but uh but even that's not even that is not significantly worse off. so so the in-game stuff is all pretty much the same uh as far as team preparation goes um the out-of-game stuff is definitely harder, and because you don't, you know, when practice ends in our facility, the guys all get up, they talk about what happened, because they're all in the same room, they mm-hmm. go sit down, they watch uh, They watch a replay of either that practice or a previous game together, um, and, and that just becomes a little harder to coordinate, mm-hmm, like, sure. just like teleconferencing does when you got somebody saying, oh, you know, can you hear me? Can you hear me? Uh, I got to run to the bathroom. I, I have a heart out and whatever. It's just everybody deals with it. Yeah. yeah. So
0: it's not the same.
2: So yeah, that, that is, that has definitely been a little harder. Um, you know, we're not in a unique position. Yeah, uh, you know, all the teams are having to deal with it. So, so I think from a competitive standpoint, it's not something I'm concerned about other than being concerned about how we can improve it
1: nice what well, you guys are in we already discussed call of duty league which uh just launched its first season uh and call of duty just also launched Warzone. uh you're, you're in league of legends which is in its 10th season you guys play you guys feel the team misfits does in uh, the lec which is in europe uh, we also discussed you're in the overwatch league and um, your team there is a the florida mayhem and you also feel the team uh, misfits does in smash or at least a player could you uh, give me a sense of, is it a benefit to have different, like a Florida team here versus a Misfits team there, as opposed to just Florida Misfits everywhere? Is there a, a benefit to having distinct brands in these different games?
2: Hmm. Um, th- there are benefits and there are costs, for sure. Uh, and I, I do want to correct you, um and that we, please do. We actually, <laughs> it's one of
0: my favorite things to do, John. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, happens it, regularly. It, it, it's bad correction
2: <laughs> because because he's an awesome guy, but but Angelic, who was our our uh, our fighting game player on our roster, we released um, a few weeks ago. Ah. so so we're we're not represented in fighting games. Uh, what you didn't call out was was Fortnite. We have. We have oh, that's, seven, right. Uh,
1: that's right. That's what uh, I meant to said, say. <laughs> uh, yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> and we
1: have we have one uh,
2: one mobile player as well, surfing who's, who's a great dude. Um, so uh, plus plus a couple of streamers and things. So so we, yeah, but, but but to get to the, the core question, um, it's there are I, I'd say the biggest advantage that it gives us is that we can position those brands dif- slightly differently organizationally we we have kind of some main branding and and and, and guiding tentpoles um around inclusivity diversity positivity and and, and competition um and those are those are kind of a four guiding lights uh that that have to be represented in all of our brands mm-hmm. but from there on um you know, brands can still take different tones um, have different uh, you know, maturity levels is an obvious one like call of duty is a mature game mm-hmm. so the, the ability to have a separate mutineers brand that's that's unique to call of duty means that we can you know maybe we have content I, we, we, we put out a video recently that was uh, was bleeped out but but it was uh, you know how to be a, an effing pro with one of <laughs> our mutineers players right. and it was it was great like, it, was, it was a really funny concept he did a great job in the video like uh, it's 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 good content that wouldn't work
1: right you're not going to do that with your Fortnite team Uh,
2: yeah exactly (laughs) so so it gives us the freedom to to do things with some with with one portion or one one brand that we we don't that aren't appropriate for other brands um and at, at to that point, it also gives potential sponsors the option of identifying with either one or multiple brands based on their their own goals. Um, we have sponsors who have said they're not they're not interested in Call of Duty, period. Um, but they they sponsor us in the Overwatch League and in uh, and with Misfits. Um, we've had sponsors say they're only interested in Call of Duty. Um, so it's, uh, I think that the benefits to the sales process are greater than if everything was the same brand and it was a take it or leave it situation that we presented every sponsor with. Yeah. I'm not, yeah. I, yeah so, um, so I didn't appreciate
0: that.
1: That's, that's, that's good.
0: Yeah. The, I, I want to follow up on that. Um, so if i'm understanding you correctly certain brands want to be they have more affiliation or receptiveness to certain games than others and and some of that may be due to the fact that for example call of duty like you said it has a lot of mature content it's it's gory it's not cartoonish there's there's curse words and things and so naturally some brands want to stay away from that and that makes sense my question to you is is as you look sometimes we ask people to look into their crystal ball and predict the future um and do you do you see that changing over time? I mean, you know, 10 years from now, is everyone just going to understand that Call of Duty is Call of Duty and brands aren't going to be worried about the, you know, reflection that they're promoting violence or something like that? Or are these things relaxing or are they, do you think do you see them getting more siloed? Like all the family brands are going to flock to, you know, the cartoonish more type games and then you're going to keep seeing Monster and things like that um, throwing in on Call of Duty. Do, do you have thoughts on that?
2: Yeah, I do. I, I mean, I have a lot of thoughts on it. Um, <laughs> I'll say that uh, I think that probably the 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 base answer to your question is no. I don't think it's going to change much in terms of how sponsors attach themselves to games, mm-hmm. and that's that's. But that's true. Like in that, that's not something unique to gaming or esports. Like mm-hmm. sponsors identify products or brands or anything that has the audience that they're trying to to go after or that that has the the tone that they're they're trying to position themselves uh within um you know and and whether that's related to to violence or um you know gender appeal or whatever like there there are dozens of reasons why why a brand wants to or wants to avoid associating itself with uh with another brand um so that uh, that's not going to change but that has I, I don't think that has anything to do with uh, the other uh kind of issue that that you're touching on there which is um the public perception and and um research around the impact of violent video games mm-hmm. and and uh what video you know, the value of the gaming of gaming as a whole like is is it is it good for kids is it is it something that we want people to be doing um and that one i think will change so so that's where i see where i hope more than more than anything uh to see a lot more change um if it can happen over the next 10 years awesome uh i, I think that's a reasonable timeline
0: Mm-hmm. Uh,
2: and it's something that, that, frankly, I do and, and we do organizationally um, as we educate sponsors and partners. Um, you know, we, we work with uh, I've been to meetings with a lot of school districts here in Florida since uh, since we've been focused out here. Uh, so so educating teachers and, and um, uh, principals and, and leaders of education is is massive for us. Yeah. and, um, and we're we're doing that and and there are a lot of other people doing that because you know, i I believe, and I, I I feel strongly that that research backs this up, that gaming is far more is is almost entirely positive that the negatives of gaming are not caused by the games themselves. They're caused by the, the um uh, how. People interact with it, and, and it's that the fact
0: they're being played by it, people that's the problem. <laughs> right? It's, <laughs> it's not guns. <laughs> <laughs>
2: people. <laughs> no, no, no. It, it, a little bit, but but it's also but it, there's also as good of an opportunity. It, you know, it's 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 the difference between uh, it's there is a I'd say an exaggerated difference in gaming of you know playing uh, a pickup sport in a yard where you, you're versus playing in a league where you've got a coach and it's you know it's, it's organized mm-hmm. you know it, yard sports you can get bullies you can get um a lot more negative behavior and without putting a check on that it's gonna it's gonna leave a mark on people and change other people's behavior uh but playing in a you know YSO soccer or something uh or playing in a school league like you've got People teaching you positive behavior, and and you're building uh, skills in, in terms of communication and teamwork and, and problem solving, that will make you a better person. Um, so, and, and and the reason I say gaming is, is exaggerated because at least on a, on a playground, like you're in a group that's right there, you got people walking by. You know, it, it is exaggerated in gaming where if you've got somebody playing in their house alone, um, there there's all there there are very few checks on their potential behavior
0: with anonymity uh, comes toxicity
2: exactly so so i i totally understand why um at, at least not totally but i at least accept that gaming has a um how do i want to word it uh a oh a, 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 i can't think of anything better than darker side um mm-hmm. I, I don't think that's quite right but um but there's, no, there's, there's a darker I side, yeah, uh, than sure. than traditional athletics. Uh, but it's that is not a function of of gaming itself. That's uh, that you know, gaming can be hugely positive, and when it's done in a healthy way, uh, it, it is.
1: So, John, I want to jump in and ask you some switch gears a little bit. Ask you some legal related questions, because I want to see. All right, uh, I'll see what
2: I, if I can yeah, if you can remi- if my, you remember we, we, remi- we need some <laughs>
0: advice. Yeah. Uh, no, so- no legal advice. <laughs> uh, I Come see on. you still got your c
1: <laughs> Nick mentioned earlier, he, he listed a bunch of different issues. I just kind of wanted to ask a few questions in each. So on the topic of employment, I, I know because of, of the observing and being in it, the off-season for esports is crazy. And I don't think it, very many people appreciate just how... Uh, sudden the rushes to get a bunch of contracts negotiated uh could you just give us a sense and describe what the off-season is, season is like for your teams in particular
2: yeah no i'm happy to um so in in so for my two leagues uh where i have the most information and i can also talk about League of legends um but we our off-season is about four months uh three to four months and we usually have about after the championship game, uh, six or eight week window, which has shifted a little bit, um, to ne- to negotiate with our existing players uh, about extensions or, or re-signing folks before free agency hits. So so usually what happens is, uh, unfortunately, we haven't made the playoffs, so so our window has been extended a little. Past couple of years, um, but we we spend you know four to six weeks. Um, hopefully doing a, a deep dive on what we expect the free agent market will look like and you know the goal being we want to know as as closely as possible where reasonable upgrades are uh for us before we go to our existing players and say hey we're gonna resign you or cut you or, or whatever sure. we do." So, so we try, you know, it's, it's a lot of, and, and yeah, thankfully, uh, our, our, our general manager for both teams, Tom on the Call of Duty side and Albert on the uh, Overwatch side, is, uh, are, are very organized and, and diligent and um, good at communicating with the, with the other folks in the league, as I think is generally true across both leagues. Um, so so we're, we, we're able to get a pretty good picture of what we expect um, at least... You know the names on the market. We do our best to peg what what the what their contracts
1: are going to look like. What are the what What are some of the top issues that arise during the contract negotiation, Like the common sticking points that you find.
2: Yeah, you know it, 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 that's a really good question, um, but I think it's kind of a boring answer in that pretty much everything just boils down to money, which is and that's not not a not a knock on anybody it's just sure. you know there aren't
1: right um, money talks there,
2: yeah money talks and and it's money talks far more than anything related to you know stuff like streaming requirements or whether you live in an apartment or a house or whatever um and, and then you know that stuff will come up um but but yeah end of the day you know, the the players and agents want to know how much, you know, what what number am I going to see on my check? And
0: um, it's an important question. You know, speaking
1: yeah. speaking of agents, uh, Face Clan got a little hot water in in the Tifu lawsuit as a result of alleged actions that sounded like they were operating like a talent agency, which uh, you know sounded like bringing deals to the player and getting a cut of that that w- without being licensed under the you know, appropriate regulation. Do you find that to be hard to distinguish uh, deals brought to players versus teams, or um, what's your sense of that in terms of the contract negotiation process?
2: Um, yeah, it's a great question, and I'll say that thankfully it is not hard to distinguish um, when you are focused on the competitive model. Yeah. Um, so, so for for the Mayhem and the Mutineers and 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 Misfits League of Legends. Um, it's, in my slightly educated opinion, it's pretty cut and dried. Um, even though, to your point, there is a lot of, and I'll be generous to to governments, federal and state, and say intentional ambiguity in the law mm-hmm. um, around uh, agency representation. Um, and definitely, I, I think there are... Um, Say complex questions, but questions that legitimately have no solid answer, um, because the law is ambiguous. Yeah. Uh, And but and that you get into more when you're dealing with. um, I think in the intro you brought up kind of lifestyle brands. You just mentioned Phase, Uh, and when you're dealing with these these folks who are signed to an org um, and are but are individual celebrities or you know influencers. and and have the the scale of personal brand that could drive them business without being attached to an org. Um, and and that's you know we we've got a couple of guys like that, and we we are uh, internally very careful about how we um, approach. You know, doing business specific to them. Uh, Clicks is, is a Fortnite player for us, and he's he's by far yeah, he, he is our biggest uh, by by a decent margin, our biggest uh, influencer who's mm-hmm. um, a player, and he is uh, you know he's a great kid, and um, we're, we're happy to we, we like working with him, um, and and there are definitely um, some internal barriers that we have set up to do our best to avoid the most obvious um, scenarios that would get us in hot water. Um, so you know it, it's it's for the most parts the stuff we deal with is is not um, very impacted by this this gray area uh,
1: and that seems to be the result of your focus on the competitive versus the, the lifestyle absolutely yep.
0: yeah that's is, exactly what I was gonna ask. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So,
2: so we can... <laughs> I don't, you're welcome to ask a
0: question or I can just uh, talk. It. Yeah, <laughs> no. no, please. I, I was just um, supporting the interest in that topic. Well, yeah, no. I'm oh, sorry, go ahead.
1: I was going to say, you, you kind of touched upon this in your answer, and it's kind of going along with the this to- this topic of IP issues, right? You Where if you have um, a very popular streamer who then comes to you or a gamer that just has... Um, a background, a presence online. You have to carefully craft through the contract, the the, the lines, right? Uh, what they, what you are taking in terms of IP rights, what they have, the full ownership and control over, what you're sharing, and and shared time for events. I'm I'm sure it just requires a lot of careful contract drafting.
2: Yeah, it does. Um, I think that I think it's probably over time. Going to get more. Um, the issues that get negotiated will be more and more narrow. Um, mm-hmm. I'd say for the most part, and 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 you know, uh, again, this is probably impacted by the fact that that almost everything we do is is uh, is within the league, uh, competitive league world, and and we're a lot less focused on the individual influencer world. Um, but but most of our contracts are pretty um, are, are relatively simple. In terms of IP, there's there's still some negotiation that goes on. I'd say the the hardest point that's negotiated is how um, how much and how long, if if at all, we're able to use uh, individuals' IP after the after they leave the team. Mm -hmm. Right. Um,
0: But that's a big issue.
2: Yeah, which is a big issue, and that's I mean that's one you know obviously you know bottom line we can't we can't be expected to go back and comb through all of our posts over the last x years and delete everything that has that player in it so so that's the floor uh, mm-hmm. for us and then you know obviously the the where it's gray is you know if we're doing if we're in the middle of a campaign or you know have a sponsor and have already shot video or, or whatever state we're in and, and need to continue to use somebody's ip for x amount of time you know what, what does that window look like um so that that i think is the is the point that gets negotiated the most right now um and, and will continue to be an issue going forward. so um, let me but it's a fair me, one it's a good good negotiation point it's fun
0: yeah absolutely and and you know we, that's similar to what we've heard from others too in terms of uh sticking points and so um it sounds like you're not alone in that regard um but let me let me switch gears just a little bit here um i'd like to ask you about immigration stuff for a moment Um, You know, before the coronavirus and and this, uh, you know, national state, international stay at home stuff, there was a lot of travel, um, you know, among teams, either either for events or to go work for a team that uh, exists outside of your area. So and, you know. We can all expect that that'll happen again once once this situation passes. But have you ha, has have any of your teams have misfits flirted with a lot of you know uh, people that are outside the country and had to address immigration issues at all? Uh,
2: yeah, oh, it's it's been a, a major um, issue for us, and not mm-hmm. that it's been, I mean, it, it at times it's been a struggle. It's not always one, um, but it, it's I mean our our Overwatch roster is entirely. Uh, right now, made up of Korean citizens, mm. so um, so there um, are nine. So you have a lot of experiences right there, uh, yeah. Um, and then our League of Legends roster, they you know the the team is based in Germany, um, but it has players from from around Europe and Korea and and um, so yeah. But and in Overwatch, we've had European players, we've had American players. Um, it's so yeah. I mean we we're, we're we've run the you know, it's a definitely North America, Europe, Asia. I'm trying to think offhand if we've had South America, Australia, Africa represented.
0: H- have you had any trouble with visas or obtaining them or obtaining the, you know, the appropriate documentation to allow them to come here and work?
2: Yes, yes, we have. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, thankfully, we've never had a, a full rejection for anybody, which has mm-hmm. happened. Uh, to mul- to to several works. yeah. Um, through no fault of theirs, um, and I think there's a lot. I don't I don't know how much or, or how much I should, or you want me to, um, rail against the immigration policy of you know, multiple countries, but particularly hey, in, the United States. Uh, <laughs> Go but, for it. <laughs> but no, I mean it's it's yeah. This is all just man shouts at cloud. Uh, mm-hmm. But but it's. Uh, <laughs> Or whatever that Simpsons quote yeah, is, yeah, yeah. Uh, picture is, but
0: the, little, the news set.
1: I imagine it's gotten tougher, right? Uh, over yeah, over I mean, the long term, it'll probably get easier as esports becomes more ubiquitous. But I can imagine it's only gotten harder for you guys to get what you need.
2: Yeah, no, the, the current administration has made it a lot harder, um, and, and not they haven't targeted esports, but it's been just a just kind of an overarching um, decision of theirs to limit. Uh, the the level of immigration that that had been allowed, you know, at least at least as far as I was aware, um, right. over, over the previous administration. So, um, so yeah, it, it's gotten harder a lot more. I, you know, I'll get into a little specific. You know, w- when you apply, most players come in at, under what's called a P one visa, which is uh, designed for uh, professional athletes, people who are excellent, uh, who have achieved international recognition within their sport. Mm-hmm. Um, and for the highest level of eSports, that had been... I'm trying to remember when the first P1 was issued for eSports. It was, I think, in the mid-2000s, I want to say, but that could be way off, so it's so not quote really? me on that one. Um, uh, yeah, now, now that I'm saying it, that seems really early, but
1: I, I don't know. Um, I, I can, had a d- very... The internet will, will tell us. Yeah, they'll yeah. tell
0: us. I had an uneducated sense that it was like the early 2010s, um, but it, I could it, be it mistaken could be. about that
2: no 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 you, you may be right now I, I could be i could be crossing wires on something but but it was uh it was a law firm who, we, who we've we've used for immigration work uh who did mm-hmm. the first one they, they proudly uh they proudly claim that uh, but but it became pretty ubiquitous uh for for esports athletes to get on p1s which means then you can get support staff in under p1s which which are people who um essentially support Exceptional athletes and have have proven to be able to coach or uh, you know do other you know have supporting roles at a high level um, in international competition. So, Mm -hmm.
1: talking about international competition, could you maybe give us a sense of comparing the competition of an like the Overwatch League, where you have teams all over the place, and then you have League of Legends, where they have regional competitions and leagues, and then they'll have maybe one giant championship at the end is is one easier than the other to to manage from a, a team's perspective
2: uh they haven't been thankfully uh, i'll say because um i, well, I guess I, I'm, I'm still t- taking this from the immigration standpoint but but i can talk generally too uh immigration wise you know league of legends the, the all the regional leagues because they come together for a world championship um, the the proof of it being a highest level of international competition is, is as yeah, I, I think it's as easy to provide as it is for something like overwatch league where clearly it's a global league mm-hmm. that, that is the highest level of competition um, but
1: uh, what about generally?
2: yeah in, in general you know there there are definitely advantages to and, and costs to both. Uh, especially as as overwatch League and Call of Duty League transition to the local activation model you know home stand model the the cost not only of just you know putting on events and, and flying players to events and and, um, and the toll on players and staff that, that that much travel takes but also like just the league being able to schedule it appropriately mm-hmm. <laughs> and and not have uh, you know, Teams flying to four different countries in four weeks and, and um, being at a massive immigration risk and uh, or, or just simply unable to to make the their, their games work um, is is really challenging. Well, so, I, ima- so I
1: imagine th- at, like as a result of this cancellation of live events, that's tested the the esports scene. That maybe they'll become more resilient, right? If if t- certain teams can't make a, an event on the other side of the globe. They'll shift to a quick online competition, and you guys have been battle tested to to handle that. Maybe that'll be something. Yeah, uh, that's been. Of this.
2: You, you're right. This has been this has been great trial by fire for uh, for these leagues. Um, you know, obviously, it's not not something that we hope to have happen often. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's Sad. You know, the current state of the world is 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 tragic. Um. But uh, but yeah, it's definitely um, made both leagues, particularly the Call of Duty league, um more able to to swap.
1: Could so could you briefly describe the relationship that that esports teams typically have with game companies? Is it the same kind of across the board? Uh is it league dependent or or game company dependent? Just try to get a sense of uh your interactions yeah. with game companies are they consistent with uh another completely maybe a lifestyle game uh, esports team. Uh, their yep. interaction with the game company.
2: Totally. I, I, I yeah, that's a great question. And I'm gonna preface it by saying that I, I, I'm gonna try my best and so, so these answers are gonna be very carefully worded not to call anybody out mm-hmm. because and, and that's that's not indicating that, that any partner is, is particularly oh, good or yeah. bad. I just you know just I just you know yeah, wanna, no, fair make sure keep, everybody you know.
0: keep using those lawyer skills.
2: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you
1: still got it, John, you still got
0: yeah, it. Yeah, I just you know I, I I don't want I don't even
2: want to seem like you know we're there are any issues but uh um uh, but all that said yeah there, there, I mean the relationship with different different developers and publishers is is uh is definitely different um and you know the like you said in the in the intro to the episode we're in a a, a relatively unique situation where somebody owns the football um and so there is to to some degree a a strange balance of uh, of power in the relationship um and and that can be that can manifest in a lot of different ways mm-hmm. um so and so definitely different publishers uh you know i have different relationships with with different publishers i you know i, I primarily work with one publisher so right. so my life is kept simpler uh but i know i know People at, at all the publishers we work with um, closely, and and some that we don't, and um, and yeah, I mean, you, but even you know to go back to, to what I was mentioning with sponsors a while ago, um, you know, different publishers have different goals for their individual, t- you know, and, and that can be title by title, it can be publisher by publisher, so um, so it, it it makes sense that those relationships are different, and sure. um, and I think that that. Um, that has created, you know, honestly, in some ways, it's created better opportunities for us. In that, there are times when we get to go to one publisher and say, "Hey, this other publisher is giving us this. you know, Why, why aren't you giving it to us?" Right. And they, there's a, we can put a little peer pressure on them uh, to do stuff that they may not do by default. Right. So that's uh, that can be that can be a fun. Little oh, it's
1: it sounds like there that creates opportunities, right? Both for you and also the companies. Uh, because yep. that you might not yeah. necessarily know what they're doing with others, right? So that's kind of the whole competitive nature of everything.
2: Yeah, and I'll tell you, there, there's a point that you brought up um, at the end of, of your, your question or statement, uh, com, you know, talking about how relationship, how our relationship may be different than the relationship of, of a lifestyle company or a non, non-competitive company. And I think um, it is, for sure. Uh, I like to think that we have... Um, I think closer relationship is, is not unfair, uh, with our with our franchise partners at the very least um but definitely a relationship that where i expect there is more regular communication um because you know if, if you're a lifestyle brand you know maybe you're gonna put on a couple of tournaments um or, or you know participate a few times a year and and you see you'll need some level of irregular communication to get licenses or, or whatever um but but ultimately you're not you're not day-to-day planning yourself in lockstep with the publisher. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, where we really are, like, uh, you know, a, a lot of the things that we do aside from, and, and maybe not even aside from, like, including developing our local fan base and 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 things that, that may be assumed to be more independent um, is, and is that, that something makes that works work. Sense. Out, work Work with the publishers on. Yeah, sorry.
0: Yeah, ahead. that makes perfect sense because it's symbiotic, right? I mean, you yeah, both exactly. have a big stake—you know, personal and financial—in the success of this this game and this league, and so it makes perfect sense that you'd be more lockstep and more more involved with them, right? Than than someone who has a a, a more remote connection to the game itself. Mm-hmm.
1: And your comment and your answer uh really hits on. The point that not all esports teams, U.S. esports teams, are created equal, right? You guys recently uh, have been doing some real cool stuff, including launching a gaming startup incubator called MSFIO. If there's an acronym yep. or uh, a spelling out uh, of that, I don't know, but MSFIO. Can you tell us a little bit about that? What what prompted it, and what's your vision for it?
2: Yeah, thanks for the the softball, Steve. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, no, MSFIO is is something we're really excited about um yeah it's it's the it 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 relies on the idea that uh, gaming is a very innovative space like there are lots of innovative spaces gaming is one of them Um, and but there are major barriers in place uh, not the least of which is how startups connect to Brands in the space that are potential users of their product platform, whatever, um, or potential partners, uh, because you know, frankly, Activision, Activision Blizzard is not is not Google, where their product is technology. It's you know, it, they they make games, mm-hmm. and so they're not out there. Necess- they're not out there doing the same level of diligence on venture deals that Google is. Um, and nor should they be, but there is a great opportunity to fill for, that void yeah, to, to be that relationship driver. Mm-hmm. So, uh, because we have these close relationships with with publishers and and you know not just publishers, lots of people around the gaming space, uh, people and companies around the gaming space. Um, you know, MSFIO is the the theory that we can provide a lot more value than straight cash. To, to small you know early stage companies with really interesting ideas um, developed plans that just simply have no clear path to developing those relationships um, And so so that's yeah I mean that that's what we've done we've set up MSFIO to be an incubator um, for, for early stage companies. Uh, we have a $10 million total seed fund that um, that over hopefully the life of the program will will grow and, and continue to be you know, allocated, uh, but but to go to actually provide support dollar support to to these startups, um, but also uh, our high it, at, go, as you go through the application process with us, you know we, we highly encourage these companies to if they're not already based in South Florida. Uh, move down here at least temporarily and work out of what will become our permanent office when it opens up. Um, in Boca, right? A, and, yeah, in Boca, it's an 18,000 square foot facility. You know, we really don't need that much space right now. So so we've set aside a big chunk of it for MSFIO. That's great. Um, so, so we have office space and we have, um, and not only do we have a place for you to work out of if you're working out of your garage or, or paying, for a lease that you don't have to pay for if you're with us but then you're right down the hall from professional gamers you know you, you may have you're going to have people from major publishers coming into the office every so often to meet with you know, our management um you're you're connected to a lot of people in the space physically that uh, that you're not when you're when you're developing your product,
1: otherwise this so, is a this is a great idea. Everybody's probably doing this, right? All the other esports teams have, a, have an incubator.
2: <laughs> I mean, don't don't. Hopefully, don't spread the idea too quickly. <laughs> uh, I mean, we're proud to be the first that we know of in, in North America, at least. Right. Um. And uh, and yeah, I mean, we hope that uh, it's a it's as it's so big of a success that it becomes. Necessary for all their teams to do it, but we also hope that we we make it a success ourselves first. Well, what what Uh, a great idea
0: this is, and you're really filling a need. There's there's just like you said, there's all this innovation out there, and and sometimes people don't have the you know business acumen or know how or experience or just the the capital to get it off the ground. And so what what a great idea for you to partner with them and and or you know incubate them and and help set that up. I I think. you know, that, that's really going to pay off over time and, and result in a lot of great uh, partnerships and developments that may not otherwise be able to exist. In In the same type of vein, can you tell us about your Misfits work with, with other entities and, and some of its other, you know, either en- endemic or non-endemic? I, I was recently just reading that you partnered with uh, SoFi. Uh, yeah. and, and I know that's uh, that's going to be a big deal. It's going to help a lot of people too.
2: Yeah. No, we're, we're really excited to, to bring SoFi on. Um, Yeah. They're, I mean, they're coming on as, as very like a a traditional sports sponsorship. Um, But, you know, for, for us and for the space in general, you know, they're, they're, they are not the first financial company period to be involved in in any sports, but uh, definitely are, are one of a, a select few and, and, have a, a kind of a unique brand and approach to what they're doing that, that I think is really fit for the space. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, SoFi is, is a, a great partner who we're excited to work with, you know, B, they, they are very um, forward thinking about how they, how they interact with their, uh, their members. Um, they have, they have a, a lot of incredible programs for people who use their, uh, their products. I mean, you know, through SoFi, if you set up a, a trading account with SoFi, they'll give you a certain amount of money, which I've, I've seen, they, they've, they've promoted different offers over time, so so I don't want to say a dollar amount right now, but but generally, they give people free money to play with day one. You, you, you put in a dollar, they'll give you a lot more. Um, just so you can, you know, if, if you have never bought a stock before, you can play around. Uh, and, and learn and and mm-hmm. they get, they support you they, they they have really great uh training programs for people they, they're very um interested in teaching uh younger audience how to manage their money effectively they're very focused on student loan payoff um i i think they're they're really um in in the conversations I've had with them in our, our content teams work in kind of developing the campaigns we're going to be rolling out with them. Um, they are a phenomenal brand to be in the esports space. Uh, we're really, really excited to have them.
1: Do you see the interest in sponsorships increasing or, or leveling off kind of going forward?
2: Uh, well, increasing, knock on wood. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're asking you're asking the wrong guy to get the answer. Yeah, a I guess answer, I guess so. But uh, I, I, I'll give you a little bit a little bit better of an answer there, which is, um, you know, it, it's it definitely part of what what we're betting on as a company is that it will increase, um, and and a lot of that has to do with again our strategy in the space, which is which is to focus on the the competitive league products, and you know, hopefully help build the next nba the next nfl mm-hmm. um and and you know hopefully that's we're already doing that uh but but it's you know, it's a focus of ours as as an individual organization
1: it, it's a it's a brick by brick process i imagine um yeah so, exactly so, so john for all the softballs i've thrown you i have to throw you a fastball every now and then Yeah. Um, <laughs> mark cuban famously said that investing in an esports a u.s esports team was a bad investment i think he called it an awful business if you were to respond to that, what would you say?
2: I'd say investing in an NBA franchise is an awful investment.
0: <laughs> Touche. Who's no, playing just games like, now? That's that's the that's the quick answer. Like,
2: but it's this. I mean, I view it as the, the same type of investment, which is, you know, for you know, maybe you're losing money. Maybe you can make money on it year over year. The big value is is you know long term growth of the of the value of the business, and um, if you told somebody in 1980 what the value of the nba teams would have been in 2010 every single person in the world who could have gotten enough money together to buy a team would have bought a team in 1980 mm-hmm. but you couldn't tell them that because it was a risk yeah uh you know you could a you could know it and be like it was, a, it was a very risky play um so so well, there you go.
1: Well, there's there's no doubt or question that esports has seen a really like a meteoric rise in popularity in in the interest from business. Do you see that pace as being sustainable? Uh, do you think that we've heard heard of corrections, you know, maybe coming in some way, shape, or form? Uh, but I just kind of wanted to get your sense of 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 that at least of of that comment.
2: Yeah, um, it, it's a good question, and I think that the most reasonable answer i have for that is i don't know what pace is sustainable but i believe growth is sustainable so i mean corrections happen in every market and expand and explosive growth happens in in most markets um and and i think we've definitely seen some explosive growth in esports um i think we have not seen a massive correction downward at any point Mm -hmm. um and and you know i i I don't know if that's due or if it's something that will become due. You know, like, that's not something I'm I'm an oracle enough to, to predict. Right. Um but but you know, in in if the industry stays healthy for a long time, I can predict that it will happen at some point. Right. Mm. Uh and that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> because because if the industry stays healthy for a long time, it's also gonna be see a lot of good times.
0: Well, Absolutely.
1: John, I think we kept kept you in the hot seat for long enough. Nick, did you have another question?
0: Yeah, I want to circle back to one thing, and, and this is something I've... Uh, Steve has heard me ask this before at gaming events and conventions, and um, I, I don't know, sometimes people don't seem to understand my question. So I, I'd I'd love to get your perspective on this. So when I went, and I'm going to take a specific example, and I'm going to contrast a game like Overwatch with a game like Rocket League. Uh, you know, a game like Rocket League, you don't have to play the game to really understand what's going on. Everyone can understand that you're trying to get the big ball into the big goal. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, contrast that with a game like Overwatch, right, that is is super uh, strategically detailed, right? You, there's a bunch of different characters. They all have unique moves. They all have unique strengths and weaknesses. They have different counters, and there's all the maps. So... Um give you an example when I went to um the Overwatch uh finals the watch party at the fortress last year um you know uh, it was easy to tell that you know some people there they play Overwatch all the time and they can tell everything that's going on how do you bring in in a game like Overwatch new fans that that don't already know the game so so uh, just a little bit more explanation I know it's a long wind up but you know, I, I own Overwatch. I've played it before, but I'm no expert. I definitely don't have all the moves and counters memorized. And so when I was watching the game, I was not following along to the same level that a pro would or that someone who plays the game all the time would. I, I play enough games to be able to tell by context what's going on, but contrast that with someone who doesn't already play the game. It, how, how can Misfits or, or teams bring in people that aren't already playing these games it's easier for something like yeah. Rocket League, but for something more complex like Overwatch, it's a different story. So, what, it, what if anything? I mean, is that a lost cause, or what if anything? Is it, is it the live events you mentioned, or is it, it's something else?
2: No, that's it's another great question, and it's one that we we think about a lot, um, and you know, hopefully, we can continue to improve. Um, I thi- they, I have a bunch of small answers to it. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I think the last thing you said is is a big part of it, which is. Regardless of your level of understanding, there is, at the base level, it's really fun to go to a live event event where people are psyched up and and the crowd is is going wild. And um, so that's, I think live events will help with that a lot. And it'll also help because it will, you know, live events, if you're watching at home and, you know, your your significant others in the other room or or your your parents are there, like, nobody has to watch with you. at a live event, if somebody wants to go, you know, hopefully they're bringing people with them and, and educating those people themselves as mm-hmm. they come. So that's, uh, that's another um, uh, result of, of live matches in market that, uh, that helps answer that question. Um, the other kind of big answer that I have to, to this kind of question always is, you know, how, how does football get fans, right? I, right. am, I get football's not quite to the to the level of obfuscurity, obfuscation, whatever the word is that, that overwatch is because mm-hmm. you've got a, at, le- at least you have a ball in football. Um, right. you know, I could say you've got the cart in overwatch for most matches right. with a percentage <laughs> counter but, but, but you know I'm, I'm, I'm married a, a woman who didn't have a TV growing up and never watched sports. and I'm a big football fan and educating her about football, took time it was and, probably you know, harder than you willing thought to do it yeah she was, she was willing to do it because she, she loves me and she wanted to spend time with me but it definitely was like there's a lot of yeah back and forth a lot of her falling asleep in the middle of games a <laughs> lot of you know, really like it, it's 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 for anybody who's who doesn't grow up passionate about it there's a learning curve um right for, for well, a football,
0: lot football also has the benefit of you can you can ask anybody on the street how football works, and 90% of them are going to know, right? Not quite the same for for games that are, you know, four years old.
2: Yeah, not quite the same. You're right, and that's that's a, but that's a just a, a time factor, right? Mm-hmm. That's you know, it's long as the Overwatch League continues to run, which hopefully is you know a long, long time. Um, it, more and more people will have that built-in understanding of what Overwatch is whatever percentage of the population that is can help educate the others
1: and um, and like what you both said uh, a team can only do so much i think our game companies can also do stuff too and and the league generally invest in good casting i think that's that's super helpful to have people who are talking at the time of the match what's going on and give a basic but also engaged level of conversation i think that'll help yeah no,
2: that, that's a great great point to bring up steve that this is not this is not a florida mayhem issue this is a an activision blizzard um question and and you know we all want to help solve it um but uh but yeah it, it's it's a fun it, this one is kind of a fun problem to have because it really is you know we've got there there are millions and millions of people who play this game every day mm-hmm. but there are billions who have never sn- sniffed it
0: right, all right. it like, it's, how can
2: we make it fun to those people? is is a good question. It's a it's a fun question,
0: and and it's almost a tightrope walk from a game design perspective, right? Because, on the one hand, you know people want to play very strategically deep, uh, complex games, and and that you know with a high skill ceiling. Uh, but the more of that you do, the less understandable it's going to be for for the average viewer, um, and that sweet spot is is going to be very hard to hit.
2: Yeah, for sure, and you know, you brought it up, and I I hate to give them you know free marketing because we don't have a team, but Rocket League is an awesome game. It it, it is easier to understand, Um, and it's you know they've done a really good job of of of, you know holding their events, building that, building their audience, and and marketing it. I'm I'm surprised it doesn't have more viewership than it does Mm -hmm. uh, because of that. But um, but yeah, I mean, again, you know, this is something we're going forward. It's it's obviously a known issue and i i would put lots of money on it affecting game the game development process in a lot of cases if if you guys decide
0: you want to field the world's worst rocket league team steve and i stand (laughs) ready (laughs) all right good to know
1: be your a team well john i i think that's all the time we have today thank you so much for taking the time want to make sure to give you a second to just uh... maybe say how people could connect with you and other things you might have going on
2: yeah thank you so much um, so follow us on social media Follow uh... subscribe to our youtube channels we have them for uh... florida mayhem florida mutineers misfits gaming all three uh, i'm at john craikum on twitter you can follow me but i'm, I'm not that interesting um, <laughs> and and watch us watch us when we play online we uh... Uh, Overwatch League got back into action last weekend. Uh, Call of Duty League—I um, don't know that they've officially announced something, so I'm not gonna not gonna say anything here. Except you know, keep your eyes open. It should be it should be back in action soon. And um, excellent. And yeah, make sure you you root for for the Florida and Misfits teams.
1: Excellent. And be sure to look out for other episodes of the Land Party Lawyers uh, podcast. Uh, you can check out our other episodes from season one and season two. Connect with us on Instagram, Twitter, or our webpage, landpartylawyers.com. We love to hear your comments and opinions about topics we cover. So if you have any, please reach out. And until next time, game on.
0: Game on. You've been listening to
2: the Land Party Lawyers podcast series with Steve Blickensdurfer and Nick Brown. To learn more about our e-gaming and esports practice, visit carltonfields.com. This podcast is intended for general information and educational purposes only and should not be relied on as if it were advice about a particular fact situation. The distribution of this podcast is not intended to create and receipt of it does not constitute an attorney-client relationship with Carlton Fields.